This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes, how the hell am I supposed to butcher this name? I don't ah, know. It goes, okay, well, uh, William Roberts. You know, a guy named Tony Isabella once told me not to trust a guy with two first names, but I pointed out to him that Isabella is, in fact, a first name, and at least William Roberts has two man's first names. In any case, this show goes out to you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my podcast. Prepare to die. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the dead live, the dead live, and they'll be in between reruns of Mad Men. Plus, Rodrigo, phoning it in metaphorically this week, wants to know, do you trust me? And history shows again and again how nature points out the folly of men. Also, the wall is back, and apparently the wall is hot. And Comic-Con, Comic-Con, does whatever a Comic-Con does. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The Schleicher knows. Sit back, crack, open a cold one, and hope the servers don't crash as we think about this universal truth. If you have three quarters, four dimes, and four pennies, you have a dollar nineteen. You also have the largest amount of money in coins that you can have without being able to make change for a dollar. Believe it? Or not. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air! Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode or issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad to have you here. So sorry Rodrigo's feeling sick. I think he caught my ick from uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were playing the Dungeons well, & Dragons I told you guys game. not to play Spin the Bottle. Yeah, well, Rodrigo yeah. insists on shoving his tongue down my, my throat, so, you know, he gets what he gets. The best, the best part about this is that uh, Steven basically cursed me because I showed up like a week ago and I was like, Steven, I'm kind of feeling a little under the way. And he's like, on the first day, your nose will run. <laughs> and on the second day, weird yes. throats will manifest in your throat. On the was third right? day, a plague of frogs. On the fourth day, made out of jam. On the fifth day, <laughs> you should be transported to the moon. Pretty much. And I was right on every single account. He was. Yep. So here are some other things that are going on in even the a, major spoilers even a stop universe. Block is right twice a day, Stephen. Yes. Uh, some other things that are going on in the major spoilers universe, courtesy of the news segment of majorspoilers.com. We have <laughs> The Walking Dead getting a six episode season on AMC. That's been green, greenlit by the company. They've even found their Brains. first actor. More delays for The Hobbit as MGM or uh, Lionsgate and MGM can't come to a resolution on what they're going to do with that huge library of films which delays the production of The Hobbit. Or we've got Scott Pilgrim versus the HD trailer. And finally, Angela Bassett is Amanda Waller. Why don't we spin that Wheel of Destiny, Matthew, and see where it lands? Oh, round and round she goes, and where she stops, nobody knows. Spin the wheel, win the Cupid doll. (laughs) Lands on... Scott Pilgrim versus the HD trailer. First I think trailer. The wheel caught Rodrigo's cold. <laughs> Off in the <laughs> mouth there. The uh, first official Scott Pilgrim uh, trailer hit the internet earlier than it should have because it should have been released in theaters first. It was up on the Major Spoilers website for just a short while before it was taken down. And then we found another link and put it right back up. 
<laughs> now, Matthew has fallen in love with Scott Pilgrim ever since I loaned Matthew him. Matthew has fallen in love with Ramona. Ah, okay. Well, see, I, I loaned Matthew my copies of Scott Pilgrim, and for some reason, he's never given them back, claiming oh. that they were lost in the mail. They were Rod- lost in the mail. Rodrigo. And then I got been- another set exactly like them, and they're right here <laughs> in my desk. They even have my name on them for some reason. How strange is well, that? Well, I said they were exactly like them. <laughs> Rodrigo has been all up in uh, Scott Pilgrim's grill ever since he found out that uh, Scott Pilgrim had to fight seven ex-boyfriends. Or seven exes, I should say. <laughs> Rodrigo was up in Scott Pilgrim's grill, and Scott Pilgrim was like, what? And Rodrigo was like... <laughs> Yo! And then we was all like, whoa. And then he was like, whoa. And then Rodrigo and was like, whoa, you want a piece of this? You want a piece of this? Rodrigo, you are all yippy, yippy giddy about this uh, HD trailer. Tell us why. I really am. Um, Scott Pilgrim is a pretty fantastic uh, piece of literature. And I, I think my biggest concern was that they weren't going to be able to to capture what I saw and heard in my brain mind in the comic as I was reading it. But they, you know, judging from this trailer, um, they're doing a great job. I was also concerned about Michael Sarah being too much of a dork for it. Cause uh, Scott comes across to me as more of a slacker right. than necessarily, you know, a, a, a nerd pushover, but I think he's doing a good job. Um, from what I've seen, it, it really looks really interesting. Uh, people, are, I th- are concerned about the fact that they're going to try to cram the whole of Scott Pilgrim into one movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff that can be taken out without damaging the work. Um, the issue, of course, being, you know, that the final volume hasn't come out yet and right. probably won't come out by the time the movie comes out. Probably will not. Yeah. So that's that's an issue. But it's not going to stop me. Watching the movie is not going to stop me from reading that volume. Um even if it does totally spoil the ending. And who knows? I mean, some the, it might not actually be the whole thing. Um, I'm really excited about it. I think that for me, you know, if my life, I see my own life as a video game comic book musical. So seeing that expressed on the screen is uh, very interesting to me. Yeah, but your comic book uh, gaming, video gaming musical has the rockets in it and i don't think scott pilgrim has the rockets in it it has like can can devil girls oh in it. well there you go matthew what do you think of the what do you think of the trailer that you've seen so far i think that a slacker and a dork would probably be a slork okay um i actually like what i've seen I I have the same sort of issues that Rodrigo does, and except in as much that I kind of dislike comic adaptations that are too slavishly faithful as much as I hate the ones that are completely different. So, you know, you can't win with me. This one seems to definitely have its finger on the pulse of what makes Scott Pilgrim interesting. Right. And I think, you know, it's going to appeal to those people who know who Scott Pilgrim is, but I think it's also going to appeal to a mass audience the way, you know, something like, I don't know, the trouble with girls or God, I just dated myself or, you know, other indie books may not. So, well, I've got a question for you. Um, a lot of people, and it seems to happen every time there's a new comic book movie that comes out. Oh, this movie will mark the end of the popularity of the comic book movie. I declare it. And a lot of people are saying Scott Pilgrim is the, 
downturn or the place where we're going to turn the corner on comic book movie adaptations and people's interest in it, mainly because of the special effects that we see in the trailer. Now, one of the uh, great things about the Scott Pilgrim series is, you know, uh, they kiss and, you know, uh, Scott gets a level one plus eight or whatever love interest or whatever. And the little icon pops up like you might see in a Mario game or during a fight scene, we actually see, you know, the pow won't pow crash that goes on. And they've taken that from the book and they've put it into a movie. And some people are like, eh, it's a little bit too Batman 1960s for me. This spills the end of a comic book movie adaptations. What do you guys think of that? Haven't they tried to kill rock and roll for about uh, approximately every five years, ever since like 1965? Rock and roll has died every year that I've been alive. And, you know, television has had the last nail put in its coffin a dozen times over the years. I think that the first superhero movie was in 1939. Okay. 1938 was the debut of the superhero as the concept that we know it now. Oh, that Shazam! That movie will spell the downfall of any chance of seeing a Batman movie produced. Throughout the 40s, there were movies. And throughout the 50s, there was a Superman television show. And throughout the 60s, we had... I mean, the superhero or the comic book movie is no longer really a genre in itself because... This is not anything like the 1966 Batman movie, except in as much as it has, you know, a similar iconography. It has a similar shorthand because they both came out of a comic book reality. I think to say that based on a trailer, this is going to be the downfall of anything, you know, the downfall of the Mike's IGA in downtown Topeka you're talking out your butt right next to the B Dalton. You know, if you are not Miss Cleo, Professor Xavier or the guy who sits on the corner of 27th and Vine with a sign that says the world will end yesterday. I do not believe your prognostications, sir. And I'll tell you this. Nostradamus is dead and he didn't see it coming. I think in that 14th quatrain, he did mention something about the pilgrim being the end of us all. I will say that I really liked the the scene that teases when Scott and Ramona landed on Plymouth Rock yes. and met Squanto for the first time. <laughs> yes, exactly. And now I want to know if you know if Scott levels up during the feast because you know he eats a bunch of food. Rodrigo, did funny, you like? It's, Go ahead. Scott Pilgrim needs food badly. What did I like? Yeah, what did, did you like the special effect the uh, the over the top comic booky action that's in the movie? Oh yeah. Right down to the, to, you know, that final punch and, you know, there's like the shock wave, the kapow, and you hear, yeah, KO, yeah. KO, yeah, KO. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. It's so over the top. Um, well, listeners, you can head over to YouTube to check it out, or you can head over to Major Spoilers and check it out. We had mentioned, uh, Walking Dead getting picked up for a six, uh, episode season for AMC. We talked, uh, mentioned about Angela Bassett as Amanda Waller or the Hobbit movie getting delayed again, you can find all of those stories over at Majorspoilers.com. Trixie Hobbitses. They steals from us and they mocks our wheels of destiny. Oh, no, no, no. See, Matthew, we're doing the It Sounds Like a Yoda, not It Sounds Like a Gollum contest. Okay, wait. Here's my Yoda impersonation. Are you ready? Yes. Hello, my name is Yoda. I used to play James Bond. <laughs> Okay, wait, no, that's not right. Hang on, here's my Yoda. Are you ready? Oh, well, 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 yeah, 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 there, there, there's just no try. There's, there's only do. You know what or, would be the or, best? Or not, you, know what, you know what would be the best comeback for Sean Connery at this point? 
coming What's back that? as Papa Smurf in the upcoming 3D Smurf movie. <laughs> that would be badass. That Brainy. would be the most awesome of all shut, awesomes. Shut. That would be the most awesome of awesome. Hey, if you would like to win some Star it's Wars action figures now, so shut your mouth. If Brainy. you would like to win some uh, <laughs> Star Wars Star action Fat, figures, all you need to do is give us a call at 785-727-1939. Record yourself doing your best Yoda impression and we will get out uh possibly get you out some Star Wars action figures thanks to the fine folks at Hasbro. Mm. Nerd, you shall be. Exactly. So, some other things going on uh, this week. Don't forget this weekend, we've got the other word book of the month. It is uh, Chinatown Death Cloud Peril by Paul Malmont. I really ought to sit down and read that book this week. Also, no, I haven't read it yet. (laughs) If you want to get up on the uh, Major Spoilers website, we've got some other really great articles that are up there. We've got uh, 10 great comic book covers from the 1940s that's generated some interest. Uh, Stacey B. has got uh, his version of What If?, with uh, the comics casting couch, who would he cast in a movie if Doctor Strange was being a movie? And he also has a great little editorial this week, or this past week, on comic book continuity. You can find that all over at Majorspoilers.com. And Matthew, I got this email. Well, Matthew and uh, Rodrigo, I got this email. Rodrigo. Yeah, nobody cares. I I think you already responded to it. Jared wrote in and he says, okay, don't hate me for this question. We hate you, Jared. We hate you with the burning fury of a thousand white-hot suns. What exactly is the premise of Doctor Who? I have a background watching Sliders and Quantum Leap, along with some other sci-fi shows. I've heard you guys talk about the show multiple times on the MSP or in the CH, and not 100% sure what it's all about and where I can find the first season. That's from Jared. Rodrigo, in a nutshell, would you like to explain Doctor Who? Um, sure. Uh, what I told Jared is that Doctor Who is a show about a time-traveling alien who has a soft spot, soft spot for Earth girls who mostly just travels to time and gets himself in trouble. Very good. And, and Matthew, should, should Jared start with season one? Jared does not really have much of an option. Um, oh, come on. Season one in its entirety does not exist. True. My advice would be the same as Rodrigo gave that if you really want to get into Doctor Who for the first time, you should start with the season. Um, it's either season one or season 28, depending on how you count, where Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper. Yeah. Uh, start out and relaunch the franchise in 2005. How, how long um, of a break? How long of a break was it between the Eccleston and the Ninth Doctor? Was or uh, was it the Eighth Doctor? And Eccleston Doctor? is the Ninth Doctor. Well, I mean, the Eighth Doctor. That movie. How many years was that? Was that ten? Years? The Eighth Doctor movie was 1996. Okay. The Seventh Doctor's last season ended in 1989, I believe. So there's a there's a huge gap in time. So yeah, seven the- years between the initial show and the American movie, and then probably another nine years between the American movie and the uh, British relaunch of the show. And so the Eccleston Eccleston run should probably be a good place to start. Although, if you want to just uh, check out something about Doctor Who, I mean, my wife watched Doctor Who when she was a kid on PBS. A big fan of the. Uh, I think she did her test and she came out as the second doctor, I think. No, she came out as the Eccleson doctor on the uh, Facebook test. The ninth doctor. Yeah, the ninth doctor. Um, The new season of Doctor Who begins here in America on April 17th, two weeks after it airs. Well, it airs this weekend over on uh, in BBC on Easter Sunday, I believe. Stupid Englishers getting all the good stuff. But the good the good thing, Matthew, is we're not having to wait three or four months like we used to. We're only having to wait a couple of weeks between uh between release so 
You guys don't remember, we had to wait nearly a year and a half for the 2005 show to debut in America. Yeah, I wasn't mm-hmm. born back then, so. Um, Shut your hole. <laughs> uh, you are older than me. Thing, the other thing people might want to check out is a little thing called YouTube, because for whatever reason, if you pay attention uh, Sunday night after it airs in, uh, in, in the grand old England, uh, it appears on YouTube almost in its entirety. So we'll you might want to check out there too. So don't Jared, let the BBC see this, mate, but here's what we got. It's Doctor <laughs> Who. So Jared, do not feel ashamed about asking what the heck a Doctor Who is, although most people just call him the Doctor. Um, I think if you enjoy Sliders and you enjoy Quantum Leap, then I think you will get a big kick out of Doctor Who. And Plus, it should also be noted, there's no shame in not knowing about something that came before your time. The only shame comes in not knowing, not caring, and also derating or de- degrading the things that you don't know or don't care about. Or, or even more importantly, know. yeah, yeah, or even more importantly, um, not being open enough to go and check it out. Yeah. So pretending to know is bad, but pretending to know is kind of fun because then you can really trip people up. You remember in season 10 when Doctor Who teamed up with Batman and Dick Tracy and, and the they, Green bit, Hornet. they beat they beat Flat Top and Two-Face oh, and the Green I Hornet. To, I used to do that all the time in Bible study. <laughs> remember when Jesus and Wait, Noah got what? together and they broke bread together? Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> that's too easy. They catch that. <laughs> You remember that? Like, well, what remember about that one Ezekiel time said about killing dogs? <laughs> <laughs> and I believe I don't know if you guys have actually read the Torah, but I believe it clearly states that thou shalt not not give all the money to Matthew. Uh huh. <laughs> all right. So, I, real quickly, I want to thank uh, Will. I am for donating to the uh, show this week. I mean, William Roberts donating to the show this week. If Your you black like eyed show. <laughs> if you would like to donate to the show, Steve likes all you have to do because he has a thing for girls who pee on stage. <laughs> all uh, you have to do is head over to the majorspoilers.com website, click on that little button that says make a donation. Ten dollars or more will get you a shout out at the top of the show. It has to be ten dollars or more, not that one dollar thing that somebody did a few weeks ago. Four so. pennies, four dimes, three quarters. But you gotta do it ten times. All right, it is time for reviews. Reviews, reviews. So they uh, come across the hues of reviews. Last year at this time, we had a review from Matthew about the uh, Kansas City Planet Comic Con because both Rodrigo and I couldn't go because it was snowing like a pain in the butt. This year, Matthew had to work and Rodrigo was sick, so I took it upon myself to go to the Kansas City Planet Comic Con, and it was a lot of fun. It seems, what I like about the Kansas City Planet Comic Con is it's been in the same location since forever at the Overland Park Convention Center, right there on uh, 95th Metcalf Avenue, Um, and every year it continues to grow a bit more in size, and every year they continue to bring in some great local talent. And some big names. This year, the big names were Helen Slater, who played Super Supergirl, and then uh, Lou Ferrigno, the Incredible Hulk from the uh, 70s television series, was there as well. Ferrigno is a big name. That's like nine syllables. It is. He was uh, selling uh, pictures of himself for 50 bucks. You can get your picture taken with the Hulk for 50 bucks. I can take a picture of him from a distance <laughs> for free. There were also, I was really surprised, and I didn't have a chance to talk to to most of them. Uh, but uh, a lot of the cast from the Star Wars, the Clone Wars was there. Tom Kane, who we've interviewed on and talked to on the show before, was there. I had a chance to uh, shake hands with him. And I do have, at some point in the future, I have an autographed Yoda picture 
that we will give away that will be uh, that Tom said, hey, when you uh, finish your contest, give me a call. I will personally autograph it for the winner and send it to them. So that is pretty cool. He's been having a lot of fun nice. with that with that Star Wars, the Clone Wars. The uh, the woman who plays. Do you Ahsoka, think he'd want to call in and win our current competition? That would be pretty funny. I didn't have time. I there were so many people that were ganged up. The, the one bad thing I would say about Planet Comic Con this year is they really needed to work on their booth spacing a little bit better because they put Tom Kane and the woman who played Ahsoka and the guy who plays General Grievous right next to the five hundred and first, the the five hundred one that was there. And it was so crowded the guys around with the button-down jeans? No, these are the guys with the, yes, the guys with the uh, blue jeans. These are the guys that dress up in the uh, Star Wars costumes and everything. Um, there was so much activity to, around there, it was hard to get to all of those people. And plus, a crowd of people were lining up to get pictures and autographs and everything. I had just a few minutes to pop in and, and say hi to Tom and reacquaint him with major spoilers and everything. So he seemed to be having a grand time with the series. So that was good. Um, a lot of people lined up for Helen Slater. There were tons of young girls there wearing Supergirl capes. So that was really cool. Um, the woman from Lost and also the woman who, um, gosh, I forgot her name. She was in Babylon 5, uh, was there. I kind of felt bad for her because I only saw like two or three really nerdy guys at her table talking to her. And I kind of felt bad for her. Um, well, Steve, she liked talking to you. Well, I didn't talk to her. Uh, there you, were you said all of, the nerdy guys were there. There were a ton of creators there. I stopped by once again, Bald Guy Studios and Chris um, Spilker was there with their art, arts and crafts that they have. Uh, I went by the Moy Brothers uh, booth. And Matthew, they are brothers. They're identical twin brothers, actually. Or not identical twins, but they're twin brothers. Philip and uh, Jeffrey Moy got Mm -hmm. an awesome Jeffrey Moy sketch of Lightning Lass from the Archie Legion. She would have been spark. Yes, it was awesome. And I also picked up several of his, you know, Jeffrey Moy does a lot of um, concept work for video games. And Rodrigo, there is a new Star Wars game coming out soon that he did a bunch of concept art for. But his nice. sketchbooks, Matthew, if you like the Archie Legion, he's got, holy crap, he's got pages and pages and pages of the Legionnaires in here. And it is awesome sauce. I'm going to contact him in a couple of weeks and see about doing a special commission for that if he's got some free time. Cool. We should be the Legion. I did not have a whole lot of time to uh, walk around the show. Well, I only spent about an hour there. I brought my two and a half year old with me and... He wanted to look at the toys, and there were a lot of vendors selling toys, um, and just none of the toys that he wanted. He wanted specific toys. And then Darth Vader showed up, and he freaked out, and so we had to leave. <laughs> Some about two big guys, and there was not one Darth Vader, but two Darth Vaders walking around. Oh, no. Something about a guy walking around going, <sighs> just freaked the heck out of him. And the fact that, you know, my son is barely two feet tall. I mean, R2-D2 towers over him. Um, you know, kind of was troublesome. And then, uh, so we left, but it looked like a great show. A couple of complaints though, and maybe people can fix this in the future. Not necessarily about the Comic-Con itself. I did mention about the, um, booth layout would maybe need to be tweaked a little bit, but the vendors themselves, I really couldn't find any comic books that I wanted because their bins were so unorganized. You know, they would have these huge gaps that go, okay, uh, here's where the flash starts, and then the next time you see a divider tab, it's talking about Zatanna. And so somewhere in those four or five boxes might be the Legion issue that I'm looking for. 
or there might be that detective comics that I'm looking for. So that was a bit of a problem. The other problem is, and I think this happens to, at every comic book convention, there are some shysters that are there. My son fell in love with this Star Wars bank. It's got R2-D2 and C-3PO on it. And apparently you put the coin in and they say something, they're supposed to say something funny, do-do-do-do, whatever. And he wanted that. So my wife paid, and I wasn't around. They were off wandering around looking at stuff. My wife paid $15 for it for a product that's really only worth $12. We got it home, got it out of the box, and I noticed that the entire bank thing was really kind of dusty. And I was like, well, this isn't good. It looks like it's been sitting on somebody's shelf. And it looked like maybe there was a part missing. And then I opened up the battery compartment, and it looked like the batteries had been in there since 1976, all acidy and corroded. And so when I scraped that out and tried to clean it up as much as I could, put new batteries in, of course it doesn't work. So there's a lot of shysterism and connerism going on at, at Comic-Cons, and I don't like that. And I don't know what the solution is except for, be honest, people. I mean, just if you got junk, throw it away and cut your losses. Don't try to pawn it off onto some poor woman who's got a two-year-old screaming about wanting a toy that you know is a piece of junk. Well, and- actually, if people, um, you know, I mean, do, do most of these places, like, represent some kind of business? Yeah, they do. I don't know what business so, this was. Yeah. This was like a comic I think book shop. As a, as a consumer in a Comic-Con, make sure that you uh, take note of who you are buying from. And if something like that happens, report it. Yeah. I, I, you know, my wife didn't know we were wandering around. She was wandering around like, look, he was pulling on me wanting to do this and he wanted this. And so she's just like, all right, here's 15 bucks. Let's go. Let's get out of here. And then we get at home and that was, that was the crap. But ton of people at the show, a lot of vendors, everybody's super excited. Some great guests, um, were there. Some great creators were there. Phil Noto was there. Uh, got a chance to talk with him and, uh, Tell him how much I appreciated his work. He says he's really enjoying the stuff he's working on right now for Marvel. Uh, he didn't bring along any sketchbooks or anything for me to buy, so I was a little disappointed there. Phil Hester was there, had a huge group of people around him. B. Clay Moore and a ton more of, of people were there. Just fun, 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 fun times. I, I'm saying this right now, and we will make this happen. Next year, major spoilers, we'll have a booth there. We will, we will be there. And you will be able to come up and have some fun with us at the show because we think that that will be a great show uh, for major spoilers and for you to partake in. It's just small enough to be close and homey, but it's a large enough show to where we can bring in some some really big people or they bring in some really big people. And I'm giving the entire show, from my experience that I was there, four stars, four slices of meatloaf. Good times. Nice. Yeah. So where should we go to next? Matthew, you want to talk about Justice League Rise of Arsenal? Rise of Arsenio Hall. Woof, 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 woof. Do you know Hi, how are you? That was a joke Hall from 1994. Right <laughs> Shut um, you remember surprised. Coming to America? Yes. Arsenio Hall was the best friend, Simi, with the square Oh, head. you mean the movie Coming to America? No, I don't remember that. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Not the book that the movie was based on that would then the Utsi. No, he actually is talking about when he came to America. <laughs> Ass. <laughs> so this is... Yes, uh, this, I know who he is. Look is at this, me. I'm all clever because I'm, I'm like Rodrigo. And you be... Is this is this rise of Arsenal a follow up to Cry for Justice? My arm fell off. Yeah, and it's kind of a companion piece to the fall of Green Arrow. Ah, oh, I see the rise and fall. Get it? 
For those of you who don't recall, at the end of Justice League Cry for Justice, Red Arrow ugh, had his arm chopped off by Prometheus, pretending to be Shazam, who then blowed up a bunch of cities for reasons which remain obscure, and one of the buildings fell on Red Arrow's daughter, Leanne. So this issue deals with the fallout um, kind of simultaneously to the rise of Green Arrow. And it opens with a sequence that, now, don't get me wrong. I understand that it's my button that they're pushing. Really? And I'm not saying specifically targeting you. No, but the button that they're pushing is my button. It starts with Leanne, who is apparently a six year old arguing with her dad, who's up in the JSA, the JLA satellite about whether she gets cake and ice cream. And he tells her that he can have one, she can have one scoop of ice cream or a cookie if she ate her broccoli. And then at that moment, Prometheus as Shazam comes in and beats him up and beats him up. And it's about a five page fight sequence. It's a nicely drawn fight sequence. Um, Geraldo Borges handles the art, uh, inked by Mario Alquiza. JT Cruel, who should be a professional wrestler with a name like that, by the way, is the uh, writer. And Arsenal actually makes a decent show of him for himself in this fight. And herein comes my problem with the issue. Why didn't we get to see Arsenal make a decent show of himself in the fight in the actual issue where it happened four and a half months ago? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Um, we see Arsenal basically, well, Red Arrow, ugh, fighty, <laughs> fighty, fighty. And then we see the decapitation on panel. The blood is black, but they show the decapitation on panel. So let me get this straight, DC. Watching a man lose a limb in graphic fashion is okay, but if the blood spurting in all directions from the wound will re- were red, it would curve my spine, grow hair on my palms, and give us, God forbid, peace without honor. That's that's the line. We can chop the arm off, but the blood can't be red. I'm not bothered by this theory at all. Um, Arsenal wakes up after the events in a hospital bed, and they find that, A, not only is his arm cut off, but apparently Prometheus has injected him with these weird nanites, which are destroying the tissue and keeping them from just sticking a cyborg arm on there. And that I like for the sole reason that one of the Justice Leaguers in the room is Vic Stone, known to the world as Cyborg, Cyborg, who literally has rebuilt his own body a dozen times, and I'm sure it would take him about an hour and a half to whip up an arm and give to Red Arrow, and then you can be, you know... He might, he might just have one ready. Yeah, I was going to say... He yeah, he might have a spare. His. Yeah. I don't you know just where he's grab keeping it on one his body, the, but... Walk into wherever Vic sleeps and grab his extra arm off the wall, you know, like Cable had in that one issue. Yeah. But then we're treated to the horrifying moment where the Justice League doesn't know how to tell him that his daughter is dead. And this is a very, very very impressive sequence because it's completely silent and you see the leaguers and it's, I mean, it's dead, dead solid. What they're saying, what they're not saying. Oliver looks mad and Hal Jordan just looks absolutely crushed and cyborg and Batman can't think of anything to say. And black canary is completely in tears and there's no dialogue for like two pages as he reacts to the realization that his daughter is dead. So if they had to do it, they at least did this bit of it in a skillful way. And of course, Red Arrow ugh, is completely enraged, flipping out. 
And in fact, in one of the background sequences, we see Cyborg in his lab. And in the background, there is an arm that Cyborg is apparently building. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. I wonder if that's foreshadowing. Now, those of you who may remember I thought it was uh, a Red Arm back when he was Speedy, Speedy uh, didn't get his name because he was fast. Speedy got his name because uh, he was on meth. Shoot, shooting heroin. Yeah, and he starts having hallucinations because whatever is in his bloodstream is eating away at his limb and threatening to kill him. And uh, he basically steals some drugs from Dr. Midnight's lab. Uh-oh. No, Speedy. No. Why? And then we have Why? a sequence. I, I'm I'm torn on this sequence because he walks into the Justice League morgue to view his daughter, mm-hmm. and this is not a silent sequence. And he looks at her body, and he's thinking about how she must have suffered, and how she fought, and how she struggled, and wondering if her last words were "Daddy, help me." And yes, big red button right in the middle of my forehead, and JT Cruel is going <laughs> right on it. So. That sequence, I, I'm of mixed emotions about. It's powerful. It is. But it may be a little overpowerful. I, 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 I don't know how to describe it other than there are some situations which require a scalpel that you couldn't really do with, say, a ball-peen hammer. Uh, at the end of the issue, of course, Red Arrow's pretty much lost everything. He's hopped up on the goofball, and he's pretty much lost himself so he's hiding out and hallucinating and at the end of the issue he's hallucinating his dead best friend from the old green arrow green lantern series and they're saying next issue so this is apparently not a one shot like i thought it's actually issue one of four next issue we're going to deal with the ramifications of green arrow spiraling or red arrow ugh, spiraling back into his drug abuse why so. speedy why well, if you grew up being called Speedy, you'd probably end up on drugs, too. The same thing happened to my friend Meth Addict <laughs> and his girlfriend Snorty. But my issue with this issue really doesn't have anything to do with the quality of it. It's not badly done. I like the art. I love the sequence where Roy finds out that his daughter is dead because it's, I mean... It's powerful, and it's very – I don't even know how to explain it. If they had – you know, it, it would have been much less meaningful if Hal Jordan was like, uh, your daughter's dead. Be brave. But doing it the way they did it, it actually gave that moment so much more power. And when he finally realizes and gets angry and, you know, throws the tray table from his hospital bed, it's – I mean, it's moving. It's a good moment. Mm-hmm. And then they basically – almost recap that same sequence with him viewing her body and they do it differently. And I don't know how to describe it. It seems like initially he's come to terms with his anger and now he's dealing with his sadness and maybe it's the five stages of grief, but I didn't like the second sequence nearly as much. And I think because it calls so much attention to the fact that a six year old girl was murdered and the way she died and, you know, being crushed under a building and suffocating to death. But Overall, this is a good start to a limited series. It's a good issue. Much stronger than The Fall of Green Arrow, number one for me. Uh, Three and a half slices of meatloaf overall. Excellent. It's a good book. It's, I mean, it's a book that's wanting you to feel something for imaginary, you know, dead girl. So 
it, it could be a good thing, could be a bad thing about the, you know, depending on how you would deal with that particular situation. Excellent. All right. Thank you for that one, Matthew. Rodrigo, Marcus. over to you. Is this a new book that's coming out this week? I believe so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> this would be Aladdin, Legacy of the Lost. Not to be confused with Aladdin, Land of the Lost. That's right. Prince Ali, glorious he, <laughs> Marshall and Holly, <laughs> over the land. Wait. <laughs> no, I think you need to go um, back and recheck. I, you said Aladdin and the Lost. You remember the court where she probably eaten by the that would be stacks, probably pretty cool. He's like, do you trust me? Yes, that would be pretty cool, actually. Princess so, Rodrigo, fill us in. Did you read the first issue? I did read the first issue. This is from Radical? This is from Radical. All right. Radical. Bossa right. Nova. Um, Reaganomics. So, my my... When I read the first issue, I was like, I basically was like, you can't be serious because it's really, really similar to the Disney movie. Well, but it's the Aladdin um, myth, right? I mean, he's got to find the street urchin. Yes, it is. But, uh, you know, right down to him being like contracted by an evil sorcerer to do it. Ah. Um, is there a pretty, pretty princess named Jasmine? The, the, she's not named Jasmine. And, you know... Uh, Granted, in the, in the original Aladdin story, there is a princess, there is a genie, there's a guy who tries to trick him into getting the lamp. Um, but, it, you know, the, the Sultan looks like the Sultan from oh, the really? That's movie. Funny. Yeah, That's from funny. the Disney movie. Um, so I was going into this issue thinking, am I just going to see the second act of um, the Disney movie? Yeah. And... It isn't. And in this, uh, th they introduced Sinbad at the, sometime in the first issue. And, um, I was like, oh, well, they're just name checking him basically. It's like, look, look, this is the thousand and one nights universe. We'll probably do something with Sinbad later. I think they are, but, aren't they? Uh, doing something with Sinbad or is that Xenoscope? I think that's Xenoscope that you're okay. thinking about. All right. Um, I don't know if Radical is also doing something with Sinbad, but. Well, they are. He's in Aladdin. Um, so at the beginning of the issue, um, Aladdin has um, gotten the uh, he's gotten the lamp. He's become a prince and just materialized a castle in the middle of the city. That is awesome. Uh, yes, and. He gets invited in by the Sultan and he kind of tries to court the princess. It doesn't work. Um, yeah. And again, I'm like, okay, all right. This is just like in the movie. And let um, me show you the world. Yeah. Basically, at one and point, Jafar rolls in, my pants. Wait, no, <laughs> turns the Sultan into a pig, his guards into dogs, and tries to kill Aladdin as to why he didn't turn Aladdin into some kind of easily killable animal. I don't know. But um, the dogs kill the Sultan, at which point they revert into normal people, except all disemboweled and crap. Um... Aladdin manages to cut off the, the, the bad guy's hand and 
Uh, he has a name, but we'll just call him Jafar. Because <laughs> it's not like I want to undermine the creative, uh, <laughs> the creative minds, the creative impulse of this book. The only thing that um, would make it uh, better is if he had a uh, if he had a familiar that talked like uh, Gilbert Gottfried. Hey, Jafar, what are we gonna do with this Aladdin? Yeah. Is that no, Gilbert Godfrey uh, to you? Because <laughs> it sounded an awful lot like Jerry Lewis with a call to enliven. Maybe it's a little bit, of, little bit of both. 60-year-old Jerry Lewis. So he runs away. He's wanted for murder. He keeps the hand. The hand has a magic ring. Um, and then Sinbad is like, hey, man, where are you going? And he's like, I'm running away. And he's, Sinbad's like, no way, man. I'll show you where to go. And meanwhile, uh, the bad guy takes the palace that Aladdin had created and flies away with it. And it's pretty cool because there's like they kind of talk about it. And it's like Aladdin apparently just, you know, created while he was on that castle, like a bunch of like crazy animals like griffins and just random crap. Um, and Jafar just kind of hijacks them now that he uh, takes possession of the lamp at some point. Um, and, uh, am I still on? Yep. Okay. Sorry. I saw a weird little click here on the Skype. Anyway, um, he, uh, so Simba is like, Hey, I will show you where to go. And they go to see the Mantis Queen. And the Mantis Queen is like, Give me a year of your life. And he's like, Okay, glug, 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 glug. Ah, a year of my life. Um, and so they, figure out where the bad guy is going and they get to chasing him and the bad guy gets a call on his magic mirror and it's the mantis queen is like, Hey, do you want to find this Aladdin guy so you can kill him? And it's like, yeah, okay. What do you want out of this? And I was like, I want Sinbad because he is awesome. So there's a lot of double crossing, a lot of magical mystical beasties and a lot of stuff that honestly I didn't expect to happen. So, um, this second issue is pretty interesting in that now, now I don't know where they're going with it. Um, and in something that started this predictable, that's actually a good thing. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So uh, if if you could eat meatloaf at this time in your ass, <coughs> Rodrigo, mm-hmm. how many slices would you give it? I would give it uh, three slices. And definitely the art is very complimentary. It is done in that uh, same kind of soft line pastel style that Top Cow likes so much lately mm-hmm. um it's it's definitely that style seems to have replaced the uh hyper rendered uh glowing random green orb style of the uh late 90s and early 2000s um but it looks really good because when you're looking at mythical monsters that style actually looks really cool oh yeah uh, i can uh, totally so, see that Yep, three slices of meatloaf. I'd say, um, pick it up. I mean, if you are, if you want to read a different take on, <laughs> if you want to start out <laughs> from the Disney movie and see it go somewhere a little bit more, uh, violent, really, is what it boils down to, um, go ahead and pick up Aladdin Legacy of the Lost 1 and 2. Excellent. Thank you so much for that, Rodrigo. And listeners, you can head over to the Major Spoilers website and check out a lot of reviews that we have out up there and a lot more coming out each and every day. And then, of course, after reviews, we've got a really great little bit here called... 
It's time. When the streets of Tokyo are littered with people who need to be squashed, it's time. For the millions in attendance pointing upwards and screaming, Koshida! And the three guys who may or may not have something stuck in their mouth, we're not sure. It's the major spoilers poll of the week, 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 week. All right, so news came out this week. Stop drinking. <laughs> news came out this week that I think it's Warner Brothers and a couple other companies are getting together to create yet another American Godzilla film. Yikes. Now, the last Godzilla film had a lot of hype, had that Taco Bell thing going on for it, had that Matthew Broderick thing, and a Leon. Here, lizard, lizard, lizard. Had Leon the professional in it as well. Um, but it kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. However, if you're like Matthew and I, and maybe even Rodrigo, you grew up on Japanese Godzilla. How awesome, how awesome it is to see uh, Perry Mason talking about Godzilla. And I just wonder, are you guys Look interested? Look at this Godzilla that we have, because I, I don't remember what Raymond Burr sounds like, someone of Sean Connery. Godzilla's right there, and we're going to kill him. Major spoilers poll of the week this week is, are you interested in another American-made Godzilla film? Rodrigo. Yeah, let's do it. Really? You're yes, yes, you bet, go, go, Godzilla? Do it. Because, um, really, let, let's let's break it down for a second. All right. Uh, somebody, somebody give me a beat. Um, Godzilla. Consider this. Maybe there are good Godzilla movies out there, but Godzilla has had so many terrible Japanese movies on. Oh, it. of course. And nobody goes, oh, well, they should take it away from the Japanese. <laughs> you know? Um, most, most Godzilla movies that I've seen are actually kind of idiotic crime dramas that involve aliens somehow yeah. and then Godzilla breaks a building. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, aliens coming down to control Godzilla. Yeah. So uh, the fact that the American Godzilla movie was bad doesn't really make me feel that Americans shouldn't get a second shot at Godzilla. Um I think Godzilla is big enough that he can take the hit if they make another bad movie. It worked for the Hulk for them to just kind of retcon and be like, okay, here's a new Hulk movie. And it isn't even nearly as short an amount of time as the two Hulk movies, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that this could be awesome. This could be a cool giant monster movie. I say go for it. Forget about the past. Forget about the Matthew Broderick one. And probably forget about any Godzilla movie other than, like, the first few. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just go from there. All right. Matthew, what are your thoughts? Well, let's talk about Godzilla for a moment. That oh, yeah. first Godzilla flick was what? 1950? 1954, I believe. 54. Okay. So, 65, a lot of years ago. 56 years. When you've been in the movie industry for 56 years, you're going to make a bomb. And nobody, you know, comes up and says, you know who can't make any more movies? Andy Dick. He's made much worse <laughs> movies than Godzilla. Yeah. I don't think that the argument that the 2000 whatever Godzilla movie was bad 
should mean that they shouldn't make another Godzilla movie. In a way, that's more of an argument to make another Godzilla movie, even if it's just the old, well, we're going to do it right this time, and we're going to talk like Don-Nots. Yeah, it, when it comes to Godzilla, Godzilla is like Don Amici or Batman. There are a lot of different things that feature Don Amici or Batman. And in those things that feature Don Amici or Batman, Don Amici and or Batman are not playing the same role every time. You know, last... Uh, what it would was actually it, be pretty awesome ago. to have Don Amici playing Batman. Yeah. A few weeks ago, we talked about, uh, what was it? The Batman, the Holy Terror. Yep. And my favorite Batman right now is uh, Batman, uh, the animated series with Oswald. Yep. Whatever it is. And, you know, there's also the Batman of the Dark Knight Returns and the goddamn Batman and all these characters existing somewhat simultaneously. Godzilla started out as a force of nature. And then for a while, Godzilla was very human and had a kid and a family. And he was in these, you know, protective roles. And then Godzilla had a cartoon where he was this cute, fuzzy animal cartoon. And Godzuki would, you know, summon him from the, the depths. And I think that Godzilla has no problem making another movie. You know, playing a different role, a different side of Godzilla. And hell, you know, let's bring back King Ghidorah and Biollante. Let's go for broke. Let's hit, let's hit the hat trick. Let's remake Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah, giant monsters all out attack. That's what we're going to do. That would be pretty awesome. I think it would. And we can have those hot little girls going, Masura! And, you know, they can be played by Felicia Tang and, uh, what's her name, <laughs> Mae Tan and that one girl and, you know, the ones I'm talking about. Yeah, don't uh, do not do a search for their names. If don't you're search 18. it. If you're under 18, <laughs> don't do it. And if you are under 18, what are you listening to this for? <laughs> yeah, go out on like a date or something. Come on. <laughs> go, go play some Super Mario or something, Julian. Julian hasn't been <laughs> as active on the site lately. I don't know what's going on with no, our number one fan. on the forums. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So for me, both. here's here's what I think. I think you're both right. I think there probably is some room for an American Godzilla film. And I think somebody in in the comments section over at the Major Spoilers website said, you know what? If we think about that Raymond Burr movie, which was really the Japanese movie re edited with Raymond Burr put in so that they could sell it to American audiences. But essentially that first Godzilla movie was a lot like Cloverfield. And I think if you take this Godzilla movie and you kind of make it a kind of Cloverfield ish movie, I think it would really work. And I think it would probably really, really do well. Except that Cloverfield already is the Godzilla Blair Witch project. Yes, it is. It is. But, but the, the concept of, of, Cloverfield is really, let's look at this giant monster from an entirely human scale. Right, right. And it, I don't know if you've ever read any old Ant-Man comics. Ant-Man sucked for me when it was drawn by Don Heck, because Don Heck would draw human-sized backgrounds with teeny tiny Ant-Man. Whereas Kirby would draw a human-sized Ant-Man in a giant-sized world. If you take Godzilla and you look at, you know, this 70 foot, whatever it is, you know, this 10 story, 30 stories high, 700 stories tall. Let's look at him from the perspective. Exactly. From the (laughs) the average fat guys in in the Midwest, because we don't know anything taller than a grain elevator. 237 feet. 400 grain elevators high. If you look at Godzilla, if you look up in the sky and you see this giant crocodile, 
Dilosaurus. I thought it was an iguana that would been irradiated. He's a Godzillasaurus. Oh, okay. He's like he's part iguanodon, and he's got like stegosaurus plates, and he's got stumpy little arms like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, so he can't drink his coffee in the morning. And that's why he's so angry all the time. And has <laughs> that's right, he's mad. He's got a headache. <laughs> that's exactly. He's got a caffeine headache that's fifty years old. I think <laughs> you take that character and you look at him, and you look up in the sky, and you see that. You know, you you have three things in your inventory. <laughs> <laughs> And they are all leaving your system. (laughs) Exactly. Poop in your pants. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think it could be done. I think it could be done if it was told again from that Raymond Burr perspective of let's put it on the ground and And let's keep it from a, let's keep it to that slow lumbering Godzilla and not the uh, super fast Iguanodon. And let's let's rock it. The Jurassic Park Godzilla with the big hips like Oprah it was an attempt to hey make the now. character like something else. Okay, fine. The Jurassic Park Godzilla with the big rips, sort of like Oprah. Okay, is, that's better. Please don't sue. Well, it was an attempt to make it like Jurassic Park. And I think that in today's society, Jurassic Park might as well have been a thousand years ago. So whatever they steal from this time will have to be a different source. Agreed. Now, what is 273 the, uh, voters at this Major This is really Sport, fascinating. Dot com. When I voted not less than an hour ago, or not more than an hour ago, somewhere in the neighborhood of an hour ago, it was exactly 50-50. Yes, when I was. voted, it was exactly 50-52, and that was like early, like in the morning. Yep. Yeah, it's been, it's been 50-50 up until about, mm, about since we started recording, and then it jumped to uh, the percentage it's sitting at. Right now, 273 votes, 52%. So out of 273, literally like 139 people are saying, no, I'm still suffering. 48% are saying, yes, give us our real Godzilla. So honestly, I think that what this means is that Godzilla is ripe for a comeback. But don't call it a comeback. He's been here for years. It'll be really cool because the people that are probably going to say no are going to go see it and say, well, let's see if it really does suck as much as the last one. And the people that are all excited about it are going to go and say, yeah, let's see if it's, if it's not as bad as the last one. So let's see, <laughs> yeah, awesome. let's see if it sucks as much as the last one. All right. We can now <laughs> complain about it on the, the internet. Hey, at the bottom, the at the end of the are, day, the Godzilla are is going to be like, hey, vamos a ver si está tan mal como el anterior. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, we have to remember one thing. <laughs> Godzilla is nothing more. And Sean Connery will be like, I don't watch the bloody dinosaurs. Money Penny, get over here and give me a hammer. At the end of the day, we have to remember that all Godzilla films are nothing more than Oprah Winfrey in a Godzilla suit. Okay. So we can head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. You, you can get cast a car, your vote. You get a car and I'll eat a car. <laughs> Head over to the Majorspoilers.com website, cast your vote, and we will be right back to talk The Shadow after the 61-second movie review. Hello, Major Spoilerites. My name is the Dexter 102 and I'm speaking with my voice to give you a 61-second review of the Twilight Saga New Moon. And before I start, I'd just like to kick it off by saying I'm a boy who isn't gay that likes this series of books and films. So please don't go in the comment section and go, The Dexter 102's gay. Who likes Twilight? Twinkly vampires are gay. Just skip this bit, alright? Move on to the lovely trade paperback review they've got in about two minutes. 
So please, just move along if you don't want to hear it. But if you do, stay right here, because right now, it's Twilight Saga New Moon in 61 seconds, starting from now. Okay, I like the original Twilight film. I'm going to be open about that. I thought it was very well directed, captured the essence of the book well. This one, not so much. It's traded out the lovely character elements that are in the first book and in the book for girly, ooh, look, Jacob's taking his shirt off stuff, which isn't good from my perspective. But I'm sure from a lot of you girls out there, it's wonderful. The acting, other than the whole shirt coming off thing, is good. Twilight Saga has been criticised for its acting, but I think it's a conscious decision by all of them, especially by Kristen Stewart, because she does a lot of breathing in it, but I think that's a conscious decision, because I've seen her in other things, and she can do, actually, proper acting. Robert Pattinson is brilliant. Just watch him in the background sometimes. And yes, vampires are meant to explode into balls of flame in the sun. We all know that. But I'm prepared to forgive a disco ball vampire for now. Costume is lovely. Just, it's all right. But it's nothing to write home about, which is why I'm only giving it three slices of meatloaf. So thanks for taking the time to listen to me today. Peace and love, everybody. All right, if you want to continue to hear these 60-second movie reviews, all you have to do is call us at our major spoiler hotline at... 785-727-1939, the major spoilers hotline. That's right. Let us know if you like it, if you dislike it, or what I would really prefer that you do with this hotline number is call it... And tell us what's on your mind about comics and pop culture. That's what the line's for. That's why we want to play your comments on the show. We love hearing from all of those people that are out there listening to the show and all of our new listeners that come in each and every week. Now, and we I just had an idea. What's that? I should call in and have my thoughts on the hotline so you can't interrupt me every 30 seconds. <laughs> That's what I think about you, that. You do realize that he edits the show, so he could actually cut himself in. <laughs> Actually, I do, on purpose, too. In oh, fact, crap. going back into your review, Matthew, I'm going to edit myself in about five other times. You son of a... No. I know. So let's talk about... My goodness. Uh, the Shadow is one of these great characters that has a great start in pulp, com- in, in pulp Tales and had a great showing on the radio in the 1930s with Orson Welles providing the voice of Lamont Cranston and the shadow. shadow. He's been in movies, which Baldwin played him in the movies. Uh, Alec. Okay. There's been multiple movies of the shadow that's been made. And there have been multiple latest shadow movie was Alec Baldwin. Yes. Then there have also been multiple comic book adaptations of shadow tales. The shadow. Notably, Yes. Something, a little something that Bob Kane put together in 39, yes, that's which what I was you just might getting remember to. as the Batman. I was just getting to that. The major influence for the Batman. Uh, <sighs> funny strips, graphic novels, been all over the place. Ended up at DC Comics in the late 80s. Uh, not the Howard... The well, yeah, it's been bounced around from so many different properties. Denny O'Neill worked on... Uh, the Shadow in the 1970s, uh, 1973 through 75. In the 80s, uh, DC reincarnated the character with the Howard Chaikin uh, uh, series. And then once, quite good. And then later, like starting in 1987 with the uh, series that we're reviewing today, The Shadow by Andy Helfer, Bill, uh, what's his last name? Sienkiewicz? Sienkiewicz. And Kyle Baker at the end of that 19-issue uh, series. 
this this book actually came right out of the uh Chaikin miniseries. The Chaikin miniseries sold really, really well. Mm-hmm. And they launched this book almost immediately afterwards to give us, you know, a monthly dose of the shadow. What DC and was holy crap was it weird. Yeah, D, what DC was doing at this time was they they had a whole bunch of pulp heroes. They had Doc Savage was at the same time. Um, yep. And what they were trying to do is take these classy pulp characters and instead of setting them in an alternate earth, this was leading up to, this was leading right up to millennium, um, I believe, or was this leading? roughly the same time? Okay. Um, it would have been roughly analogous continuum as wise. And this is Continu- right after or right before crisis on infinite earths. Right. After the crisis. Okay, the crisis so, ended roughly in 86. So we can't, DC couldn't say, hey, well, let's create an alternate Earth where we're going to tell these uh, first wave stories. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go back and tell this alternate Earth stories of the Golden Age characters. They couldn't do that. So they took characters like Doc Savage in the Shadow, and they brought them forward to modern times to try to tell, tell their tales. So in the case of Lamont Cranston, he isn't Lamont Cranston. He is Lamont Cranston Jr. Well, He's actually not even Lamont Cranston, as we'll talk about in a little bit. And he's actually not even Lamont Cranston Jr. <laughs> he's not even that either. Uh, but, you know, these are the, a legacy character uh, that they're trying to bring into the modern day. And old characters that people may have known, like Margot Lane and some of the others, some of his other operatives, have aged. And so there's new operatives and old operatives, and things just get really crazy. Matthew, break it down oh. for us. You want it in 60 seconds or less? 60 seconds or less. I don't know if I can do it this time. The shadow is complicated. Um, I'll do 60 seconds next week because this time I want to explain a couple things. Okay. This story launches in the 1980s. Right. The Lamont Cranston Jr. identity is a falsification by the shadow to explain why Lamont Cranston hasn't aged in the 50 years between the 30s and the 80s. Right. At one point, he basically faked his own death and came back as his own son, something that Hop Gadling would do a couple of years later in Sandman. Right. But... Lamont Cranston isn't his name either. Exactly. In the early, in the actual pulps, in one of the earliest pulps, the shadow comes to America and takes over the identity of a man named Lamont Cranston. Who, and did so, the original Lamont Cranston die or was he just, did the, Kent did, Allard. Yeah. Did Kent, uh, like off him or something? Uh, Cranston was a separate character early on in the earliest pulps, from what I understand, mm-hmm. where Lamont Cranston was a guy who looked, who Kent Allard looked like, and he used as a disguise. Okay. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Lamont Cranston either died or disappeared somewhere along the line. I, I don't know if they changed the premise or what, but initially, Cranston and Allard were separate characters. Mm-hmm. And then the thing eventually... There are other, in the early stories, there are other identities that the Shadow takes on as well. Mm-hmm. But Lamont Cranston becomes known as his primary identity. And for the longest time, Lamont Cranston actually becomes, for all intents and purposes, the Shadow's well-known, most well-known alter ego. Kind of like his Clark Kent, for any you know, lack of a better word. But... The thing that's important to remember is that the part about Kent Allard taking over the Lamont Cranston identity, which upset a lot of people mm-hmm. in 88, is actually taken from the original Shadow Pulps. Yeah, so here's so. what here's what Wikipedia has a breakdown, and it says, One of these identities is Lamont Cranston, a wealthy, quote, young man about town, unquote. In the Pulps, Cranston is a separate character. 
Allard frequently disguises himself as Cranston and adopts his identity. This would be The Shadow Laughs, 1931. Um, okay. While Cranston travels the world, Allard assumes his identity in New York. In their first meeting, Allard and the Shadow threaten Cranston, saying that he has arranged to switch signatures on various documents and other means that will allow him to take over the Lamont-Cranston identity entirely, unless Cranston agrees to allow Allard to, to impersonate him when he's abroad. Terrified, Cranston agrees. The two men sometimes meet in order to impersonate each other such as Crime Over Miami in 1940. Apparently, disguise works well because Allard and Cranston bear something of a resemblance to each other. Dictator of Crime, 1941. There you so go. there you go. So, so the shadow eventually, I believe, and I can't say for sure, but I believe in the radio dramas, mm-hmm. they never address the Kent Allard pretending to be right. Lamont. Right, they do not. Right. So, and then, of course, the shadow has his agents. Mm-hmm. Harry and Margot and Shrevy and, and Burbank and the guys who, you know, the guys and the girls who assist him. And in this series, in the 80s, they've all aged normally. Right. But Kent Allard, thanks to things that he learned in the far off Tibetan Alps. Of Shambhala. I think they are. are the Shambhala. Alps in Tibet? No, it's, how does your light shine in the halls of Shambhala? <laughs> that's, 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 how does your light shine? In the halls of... Oh, yeah. Three Dog Night. Mm-mm-mm. There is no joke so young and beautiful that Stephen will not club it to death like a baby seal. Yes, those like, baby seals so. taste so good and their fur feels so good <laughs> against my thighs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just threw up in my mouth a little. <laughs> and also in Rodrigo's mouth. <laughs> and that's why Matthew's getting sick next. All right, so oh. so Lamont Cranston is the original Kent Allard, still floating around using his mystical properties, still clouding men's minds. But Matthew, this series is so freaking out of control. But it's so wonderful. It's it's nuts, and it's set in a time right after one of the strong influences on this book is the parody, the the ridiculous extreme to which Batman went a little thing that you call the dark Dark night Returns. Well, and that's, that's the thing that, uh, that really strikes me about this series and, and Rodrigo, we want to get some input from you is the storyline, especially in the first arc really feels a lot like elements of dark Knight returns. Uh A lot of the elements of the art are also, I mean, I have a real problem with the art. I'll just say that in the first arc, a real, real problem with the art. Um, but the storytelling, it's some bizarre tales because here's the shadow flying around in a hover car. He's got two sons. There's some woman in an iron lung. There's monkeys, <laughs> monkeys sell apparently. Um, you know, well, Bur- Burbank, who was mm-hmm. his telecommunication specialist, has a wife in an iron lung who has a helper monkey. Right. Two that's helper not, monkeys, that's yeah. not crazy. No, it's <laughs> not at all. Especially since to make money on the side, she's a uh, sex operator. A phone sex operator. Very yeah. 80s. Yes, it is. Very, very It was 80s. a hot button, if you know what I mean. Well, and see, that's the other thing. And well, that's the other thing that's interesting about this series is you could take this as a series of pulp tales that are really, really out there. Or you could take it as a reflection on commentary on society of the time. It is, it is both. 
but it's not just a commentary on society. It's a commentary on what comic books in the 80s had become. And that's one of the reasons why I feel that Kyle Baker, whose art you and Rodrigo both have issues with, and understandably so, is the perfect artist for this. There's a there's a scene right before, and I'm going to spoil it, right before the shadow dies. Right. Where he's like, argh! And it's this big, cartoony, giant mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baker's tendency to cartoonify and oversimplify really makes the shadow creepy in some of the creepy sequences. But it also, you know, it it gets across the fact that this is almost like not even parody. I don't know what what would you call it when you go so far past the boundaries on purpose. You know, he's 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 really pushing at an envelope. Where I think the tendency is to look at the shadow as kind of a pure character, right. a pulp character, well, it, someone it, who's it's serious. Parody. He, it becomes a mockery of himself, essentially, is what it right. what it is. Yeah. And the shadow is known for, you know, my shadow image is always the man in the slouch hat on the running board of like a Duesenberg with a Tommy gun. Right. And they took that and they upgraded that and they put him on the running board of an attack helicopter with an Uzi circa 1988. They took all the things about the shadow circa 1930 that made him cool, which are exactly the same things about the shadow circa 1930 that makes the whole concept goofy. Mm-hmm. And it took those and made those the point of the series. The reason that I recommended this is because it is so out of control. From page one, this book is just like, oh! Because I read it that really shadow is. series by Chaken, and the Chaken shadow series was like, I am the shadow. Yes. I am the shadow what is evil. And it was very much, you know, it was very, I don't want to say traditional, because it was it was Chaken-esque. No, but I mean, that's but the it thing. Was, it was a, yeah. It was an old school take on the shadow. And this book took that old school take and then turned it into something and tried to do the shadow as a contemporary book, as a book in the 80s, mm-hmm. in, you know, the world of excess. And it kind of reminds me of things like The Running Man. Do you remember how The Running Man was set oh, in the near... Oh, that's totally over the top. Yeah, yeah, that's totally over the top. Yeah. And the, it's kind of, it, it reminds me of that. The thing is, I, you know, I was hooked on all the pulp characters at this time in the, in the early 80s and throughout the 80s, really hooked on the pulps. So when Doc Savage came out, and DC had that. I read it, and then all of a sudden they tried to modernize it, and I was like, what in the F? Of course, back then I wasn't allowed to curse, so that's probably where where in the F did, came from. Um, <laughs> I read the Chaken miniseries, and I was just like, oh, this is so cool. So then when you see ads for DC coming out with another Shadow book, then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm getting this. And, you know, for two years, um, two and a half, however long that the, that the series ran, um, I was buying it. And even today, as I was digging these out of my, my collection, I remember every cover. I remember a lot of the story points, but man, going back now and reading this, I'm just like, this series is out of control and makes no sense. The only story, granted, go ahead, Rodrigo. Granted, that's not necessarily, <clears throat> excuse me. That's not necessarily DC's fault. DC has a bad track record of, uh, creators doing this to them. I mean, it's what started Vertigo pretty much is like, hey, right, we right. would like you to revive this character. Okay, here's my ridiculous take on it. Right. Well, we'll sell it, <laughs> but that's not what we wanted. Right. And 
I don't know. The problem is for people who are reading this the first time, and maybe Rodrigo, you had this problem, is you're kind of dropped right into the middle of an adventure or the middle of a story, and you're expected to know who the shadow is, who his operatives are, who all these people are. And I think those first four or five issues, five or six issues maybe, are really, really going to confuse people. It's only when you get to the point to the story about Harold goes to Washington mm-hmm. about this little messed up serial killer um, wanting to kill the president that that as a, it was a done in one story that that actually makes sense as a shadow story. What issue was that? It's got to be it's got to be five or six. Uh, may, may have been eight, but I'm, I'm really pretty sure that it's it's one of those first five or six. Rodrigo, do you remember? Um. Let me look here. Uh, Going through the stacks, going through the stacks. Uh, Of course, I start at the end. That's that's issue number seven. Issue number seven. Seven. The Shadow. Can I I be totally honest with you guys? Yes, please go ahead. You didn't get through it, did you? I didn't get through it. And partially it's because I'm sick. Right. Um, But, like, I've, I've actually been, like, I've been really stressed out of work. I've been sick. And I got, I got home. Uh, yesterday, I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to get through the shadow. And like, I just was not up to it. it like, and, and it's, it's almost 100% the art. The, the, it starts out really confusing, but within two issues, I knew what was happening. Right. Um, not necessarily who all the characters are, but I'm like, okay, this is what's going on. Um, but it really seemed to me like, like, like the art was just like, purposefully trying to attack me. And I think it honestly was. I think it's, you know, this is like, look at this crazy crap. Well, and you know, it's only when Kyle Baker comes on as the full-time artist, and it may be with issue number seven. I forget. Again, I forget which, which point that's when the art kind of settles down and is not this crazy. The closest thing that I can pair it today for people is, um, uh, what's his name? Keith, um, the guy that does the Sam and Max stuff. Um, Sam, Sam Sam Keith. Yeah. Um, it's only then that, you know, that stuff I don't like. And so I was going back and reading this going, how could I ever get hooked on the series? And then when I get to issue seven again, I'm like, oh, I remember this was the first issue that I actually remembered to pick up of the new series. And then I went back and tried to read everything. See the art on the first six issues to me. And like, this is, this this was my thought as I was flipping through this to me, it looks like Terry Gilliam was in a car accident (laughs) and they had to punch a hole in his brain and drain out all the excess fluid. Yeah. And that fell onto a page. And that's what the first six issues of the shadow are. Yeah. Cause it's just like red and black and splotchy. And yep. there's a foot coming out of a cloud and it's stomping around the countryside. Yep. That's the Sy- Sankiewicz <laughs> stuff. And I, yeah. I just, Sankiewicz. whatever it is, I don't, I don't care about it. Sankiewicz. Yeah. Whatever. Skalite, Skaliker. Yes, exactly. Sh- Scaliature. Exactly. You want a picture, so, not a scaliature. I think whenever you get to issue seven, I think the art cleans up in the story. You know, with this done in one story, with Harold goes to Washington, everything kind of mm-hmm. calms down a little bit. And then it gets into this point where <laughs> <laughs> things get, I mean, things don't calm down, but I mean, things, I don't know, from the art perspective may not be as insane. It may be a little bit easier to approach. Honestly, to me, art, like, when I was first getting into comics, art was 100% what I was looking for. Right. Um, and now it's gotten to the point, like, 
where, you know, I can read something where the art doesn't really do it for me, or I can start uh, appreciating art that is not necessarily the, like, pow zap stuff that I was really into at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but art to this point can actually turn me off of a book. And it's not bad. It's really not bad on those first six issues. Oh, I hate it. But I just was not properly polarized for it. Right. And you do have to be kind of somewhat ready to go into it. And even even then, when you go and look at the Kyle Baker stuff, it's a little extreme in its caricature of, of the people. Um, and so you may not like it or you may like it. I liked it a lot better than the first six issues. But Matthew, going back to story elements... Let's get to this mm-hmm. point where the shadow dies. And it's, it, it, it really, uh, one of the things. Ah, ah Matthew Spitalik, I uh, see I in 30 days. Will learn, so you're 30 the days. issue that <laughs> I remember, the issue that I remember so strongly about this run, and the issue that really makes me think we should cover this and maybe say, we will read this and you will all shut your faces and read it, is annual number two, which comes right after after issue 17. Right. As, and as I mentioned in issue 17, the shadow dies. Yeah, Actually, he died at, in 13. Some but, guy is going after, he's going after some guy. And uh-huh. as the guy's dying breath, he releases some toxic gas and the shadow's just like, why, all of a sudden I don't feel so good. And he falls over and dies. And in the annual, we have a Citizen Kane moment where the shadow dies and his last word is, Lenore. Right. And the whole annual, and it's very meta because, of course, the shadow was voiced by Orson Welles, who mm-hmm. made Citizen Kane. Right. And this is a Citizen Kane riff, and it's a it's an Orwellian story. Yeah. Where the shadow's agents try to figure out the meaning of his last words, the mm-hmm. meaning of Lenore. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a wonderful moment because you see people responding to the death of the character. And one of the the aspects of this take that's so weird is the shadow. They everyone calls him master, and I don't know if that dates back to the radio serials or not. Well, and I, I wonder too is that you know when we talk about the shadow and his ability to cloud men's minds, it's actually mm-hmm. a bunch of hypnotism as well. And so I wonder right. if there isn't an element of they're referring to him as master because he controls their minds, even though they that think they have some, even though they think they're working with him, they're actually working for him. And right. I wonder if it's a subconscious All- reaction. It could be. All of the agents are basically subjugated. And, you know, throughout the series, you'll see agents trying to run away and escape and not getting away. The shadow is very autocratic and he's very much a bastard. And all oh, of yeah, and I agents, have a lot in common. But all of these agents are looking back and, you know, they, they still think of him as the master and they're still they all want to know. They really want to know what happened. So we see the origin of the shadow and the moments where Harry Vincent and Margot Lane became agents. And we find out, you know, the citizen Kane Philip at the end of who and what Lenore is. But that whole sequence for me is one of the great comics of my early reading life, because it wasn't like anything I'd ever read. I hadn't even seen citizen Kane at this point. I knew what this was referencing, but you know, it was it was a done in one story, and it was a very well done story. And that particular book, the annual, whatever was going on with Baker's art, wasn't totally whack job. No, it wasn't. And I don't know if it was a question of the inking or what I think is more likely a question of Kyle Baker taking a more traditional take on the art because this was 
a flashback tale to a time when the shadow was meant to be, you know, more serious. Mm -hmm. There, Mm -hmm. there is an element throughout the first 14, 15 issues of this book of just flat out wackadoodle. Let's throw everything but the kitchen sink out at the wall and see what happens. And we mentioned that the shadow dies in issue 13. The book goes on for six more issues. And his sons and his agents are dealing with, you know, his body and, and severing his head to take it back to Shambhala so that he can be resurrected. But they can't quite do it, so they have to stick his head on this robot body. Yeah, and that's and what like, gets yeah. really weird is uh, somehow, and again, I was just skimming through the last issues, something happens where the brothers end up in Malice City or whatever, Malice Town, which is right. just the total opposite of what Shambhala should be. And... Right the body gets separated from the head. And so they only show up and, and the brothers, the sons are eh, kind of maybe not the, I, I, I guess they're supposed to be typical of the kids of the eighties want to be in rock bands and never do what their parents want to tell them and want to take part of the society. They're kind they come back as kind of essentially losers because they don't have the whole body. And when he is resurrected, uh, the only thing they can resurrect is the head and they're in the process of cloning him a new body, which harkens back to the very first part of the uh, series where mm-hmm. um, Cranston kills a clone that was built off of, well, I shouldn't say uh, the shadow, the kills shadow a kills clone a clone based on Cranston's body. And, yeah. um, and so in, while they're waiting for the body to be cloned in a couple of weeks, uh, the malice town attacks Shambhala, and so he gets on this robot body. Right. And, and it is woohoo, wacky in the wiki-woo. But it's fun. And it I think is. That's, that's what I, I, I like about this, is I don't equate the shadow, the Walter Gibson archetype, the dark character, with fun. Some of my favorite Batman stories are the ones where it's fun. The one where Bruce Wayne is telling campfire tales to a bunch of kids about the Batman and at the end, he jumps out in his Batman suit and says, maybe the Batman looks like this. And the kids are all like, shut up, Mr. Wayne. We're going to bed. <laughs> I like the juxtaposition of this dark Avenger, this, you know, two-fisted gunman, this man who will come and show you that the weed of crime bears bitter fruit, blah blahdy blue I like the fact that, you know, he's a disembodied head on a stick, and he demands his hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, to me, just... Speaks to the, you know, the pure psychosis of the man here is he has no body, but it is important to him that he has his hat. You know, it, it, it's nuts. And when they when they put his body on this robotic form, because Shambhala is, of course, this lost uh, city super, of, yeah. of, of brilliance where everyone has super science and they can clone things and robotics and body blue. You know, the the shadow's head on this massive, clanky 80s robot body really is the image that embodies this show. This, I don't want to say show. That probably tells a little bit about the story. It's the image that embodies this take on the book. And I think it's also the image that embodied Street and Smith to send DC a cease and desist. Yeah. And say, no, yeah, yeah. we are well, relaunching you know, this book as The Shadow Strikes. And I like The Shadow Strikes. The The interesting thing about this is that, again, if we think about what's going on, RoboCop is a big thing right about now, too. And so let's do the Peter Weller thing with The Shadow and see how that works. The problem is with this series is that issue 19, we kind of ended a cliffhanger where, um, what is it, Shiwa Khan? Um, Siobhan Khan. 
is uh, is the Shadow's arch nemesis, who we believe died many, many, many issues ago as well. He also right. returns on a robot body, and it just right. says next <laughs> issue, nuts and bolts, part one. See you in thirty days, kids, or whatever. And we never saw that story conclude. And so, this was right about the time when I, as a kid, was getting into the comic press. And I can tell you what happened. The licensors of the Shadow, yeah, they freaked out, saw the issues, and said, "No, you cannot continue." And dictated to DC that if they were going to continue with the character, this book ended, and DC literally just cut the cl- cut the cord yep. and relaunched the book as the more traditional The Shadow Strikes. Right, and, and that, it's it, a shame to me. Why this is it was a shame to you? Awesome stuff. This was. This is my favorite shadow, and I collect the shadow in all of his comic incarnations. Mm-hmm. I liked, although I did like the version for Archie where he was a, a superhero in a blue and green suit. <laughs> that was good too. But this is my favorite shadow. This is my favorite shadow stories because it does something different. Right. You know, we we know what the shadow. Even if you've never watched Alec Baldwin, even if you've never listened to Orson Welles, when I say to you. Who knows what evil lurks? Everybody will say, the shadow knows. People know this character. And I think that turning our expectations on our heads like the way the way that they have here, it, does, it isn't going to work for everybody. Yeah, I don't expect it to work for everybody, but damn if it didn't work for me. Well, like I said, I've got every single one of these issues. The covers are fantastic art. If you want to see some great cover art from the time period... You can't go wrong with the shadow. You've got everything from the wacky, scratchy art to stuff that looks like it was uh, chalk on a piece of uh, parchment paper or a, a rough paper, all the way down to the final issue, number 19, that is, this, you know, the shadow busting through a wall and a head on a robot <laughs> kind of thing. And it's, you go back and look at these, and every time I pulled out an issue, I was like, oh, I remember this one. Oh, I remember this one. Oh, this is great. I love these covers. Problem is, for people who aren't familiar with the history of the Shadow, this is probably, in my opinion, not a series to start with, because you're probably not going. You're probably going to be lost for the first issue or two, and then you're going to be disappointed because you get no kind of resolution. You just it ends. It just ends, and it's you hit a brick wall, and that's it. But for what it is, it's enjoyable, even if it is crazy. And I think people really have to have a love for the Shadow to appreciate what DC and what the creators were doing in this, in this series. I I'm curious, Rodrigo, Matthew and I have been babbling on. Do you have any interest now in, in reading the rest of these issues? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I do. Especially because, because of course I, I'm like, Oh, I cannot read this anymore. And I put it down and then you're like, Oh, by the way, the issue after you stop reading, the art straightens up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I am interested. Um, you know, Matthew's giving it pretty, pretty high praise. Um, and that kid is crazy. So this has to, you know, have something going for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I am interested in, in, in going back and figuring out what all ends up happening, and especially knowing that I'm not going to get a big resolution out of it. Mm-hmm. I can go back and read it and not be disappointed at the end. It is, freaking weird and i think that despite not having been like very thoroughly exposed to the shadow you know i've seen the movie 
I've picked up comics here and there that were a little bit closer to it. I've seen all of these slew of heroes that have been influenced by the shadow. Mm -hmm. I think I want to see some and hear and check out some original shadow stories, something Uh that is closer to what the shadow is supposed to be. Okay. So a couple of things that you might want to then check out. You might want to check out the shadow strikes, which ran from 89 to 92, which was, uh, um, written by Gerard Jones. Um, it was set during the thirties set very close to the pulp origins uh, and you might also want to check out in the mid to late nineties, Dark Horse came out with a couple of shadow series uh, called Coils of the Leviathan, which you can collect in a trade paperback, I believe. Mm. And so you might want to check that out. Um, still nothing beats the original tales. And there is, if you go into the latest previews catalog, if you go into the back into the books and magazine section, you can actually purchase uh, reprints of the original pulp tales. You can get these two in ones. And I forget the company that does it off the top of my head. <coughs> I've purchased from them before and it is the original tales as they were written, um, written by the, by the authors, by street and Smith and, and Walter Gibson. Um, mm-hmm. so you can check those out as well. And of course, if you read Batman, that uh, is essentially the shadow as well. <laughs> and I, I'm sure if you do a search, if you want to hear some great Orson Welles stuff, just do a search for, the Shadow, Orson Welles, MP3, and I'm sure you're going to uh, um, find a, a, a repository of those files. And if you get really bored, there are a couple of issues of Batman from the 70s when DC had the character where Batman and the Shadow both exist yes. together. Yes, and you know, there's an actually a really cool... I forget if it was a two-issue or a four-issue. I forget how it went, but the Doc, Sa- Doc Savage and the Shadow teamed up. And that was also a very cool series, but it was, Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened to it because somehow I'm missing one of those key issues. Uh, And I'm just like forever been kind of searching for it. And it's very difficult to find. Um, You can go and check out the shadow podcast. There's a podcast out there of the shadow. I don't know if these are reprints of the original or um, yeah, these are um, re-releases of the original radio dramas from the 1930s. So you can check that out as well. Plenty of shadow opportunities for you, Rodrigo, if you or the listeners so desire to check out more about the shadow. But as a character, I love the idea of the shadow. I get a kick out of uh, the shadow. The shadow is one of those pulp characters that I really, really enjoy. As a character, love the concept. Matthew, are these even collected? I mean, Rodrigo had to borrow my originals, and you got the originals. You read these when they originally came out, I'm sure. I actually collected these again in the 90s. I read them sporadically. Okay. I don't believe that the licensors have allowed these, or let's be frank here, will allow these yes. to be collected. Yes. I don't think that Street and Smith, they well, want to own the Shadow. or whoever it is now. Same people. They're the same guys. Yep. They're one yeah, of the actually, six corporations. I think Street and Smith Condonast is the name of the, of the publisher. Yeah. I believe you may be right. But... I don't believe that they want this to be reprinted. Yeah. <laughs> now, oh, yeah. I, and I can I understand could, why. Uh, well, and you know what? It it really has a lot to do with what you expect from this series. Uh, when I go into a book drawn by Kyle Baker, I expect a book that looks like it is drawn by Kyle Baker. And this does not disappoint. No, it doesn't. Someday we need to cover the Cowboy Wally show. Okay. Or why I hate Saturn. But no, I don't believe that this is ever going to be trade paperback. I think that 
we're going to have to go out. You're going to do what I did, and you're going to drag through Planet Comic Con and you know Pat's Book Nook and stores by the side of the road, and you can buy these issues if you want to read them. And I think they're worth it. I think I think if you're a fan of the Shadow, you need to buy it, and that's what I did. And I had to go and find several of these because even uh, Gulliver's was very sporadic about getting these in. And well, I may have gotten most of Gulliver's. You may have <laughs> picked, you may have picked them up here and there, and that's why some of my collection was incomplete until I went back and said, "Hey, I got to be a completist here and pick them up." So, big fans of the Shadow, certainly worth a series, especially the annual number two. I agree with you, Matthew. Is a really well done. Uh, well done issue. And of course the Rosebud was the sled. <laughs> Think and about what that means. And then of course, Harold, Harold goes to Washington is my, is my personal favorite. Um, yeah. just because it's inside the mind of a serial killer, but you can't go wrong there. Any other thoughts, gentlemen, before we exit out of here? And here we We shall return for this week's episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, it's the life and times of the richest duck in Duckburg. Why? Well, because we've been on a kick about ducks lately, so we might as well go ahead and cover it. Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Major Spoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Major Spoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Major Spoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such a chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun bee In the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast Copyright 2010 Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on Rodrigo, you said you had a bit of concern about the art in the shadow? Yeah, um... Go, go go back and flip, flip through your issues, guys. Are Asian people yellow in it? Because <laughs> yes, back in the eighties, everybody was yellow if you were Asian. 
Hang on. Let's Cause, Okay, because there's there's a big bad guy mm-hmm. that, that shows up. And, and I was like, okay, he's yellow because clearly he's supposed to be some horrible yellow terror thing that was created in the 30s. That's the vibe I'm getting from him. I, I'm not familiar with the origin, with the actual character, but okay. Um, but the Shadow's sons, mm-hmm. who are Asian, are frequently yellow. And sometimes when they're there by themselves, meaning they have yellow skin, when they're there by themselves and they're yellow, I was like, okay, well, that's just the weird-ass coloring of this book. Right. But there's at least one instance in which they are in a room with a white person who is pink, and they are yellow. Yeah. I believe um, that this in 88 would have still been colored under traditional four-color. Yeah. Or this would have been the point. And if you've ever read any old Shang-Chi comics, you'll know that Shang-Chi is bright orange. And I don't know, I, I would say if it is... If it, it, it it's not intentionally designed to be racist. If no, anything, no, no, no. I think I think what it is is you know a lack or maybe a lack it's of a just, better way. It's bad coloring. To deal with it, but. It's bad coloring but, on pulp on oldish paper. This is to Rodrigo. Yeah. This is the time when the paper was essentially and uh, this paper was essentially the um, paper that you find in your newspaper. Not quite. This maybe was, a step up. This was up. Mando paper. Yeah, this was Mando paper, but the the coloring was still the same coloring that they used on the newsprint in the right, '30s. And right. a lot of the people who were coloring the books around these times were guys who'd been coloring the books for years. If you look at the the Caucasian characters, if you look closely, it's a, a just a matrix of pink mm-hmm. and white dots. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to do, let's say, you want to do the color red, you couldn't just do red ink because red ink wouldn't print as red you had to do i think it's like r r3 y3 which is a mixture of red ink and yellow ink which gives you a comic book red color so if you get into like the tans and the beiges and the lighter you know the pinks they don't reproduce or they didn't reproduce under four color conditions at the time so Mm -hmm. your asian characters and granted i think that there's a little bit of reflexive racism in that there aren't very many Mm mm-hmm you know, up to this point. And when Shang-Chi was being colored, he was probably the only major Asian protagonist. Uh, the same problem that, you know, you'd see in Gabe Jones in the 60s as the only African-American member of the Howling Commandos is he would usually just be dull brown, the same color as a tree. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think what it is is it's a holdover from the traditional coloring, but it's so much worse on the better paper with the flexographic printing presses. And I think that, that in, yeah. Yeah. And I think in an attempt to make the skin darker, it comes off as mm-hmm. yellow in the, in the, in the, in the, or like a, a, a weird kind of goldenrod mustard yeah. color. Yeah. I see it as more of kind of a mustardy color than actual mm-hmm. yellow. But no, I don't think, Rodrigo, that they were actually saying. Hey, yeah, let's make uh, Asians all yellow because everyone knows that Asians are yellow. I don't think it was anything I, like that. I hope it wasn't anything I, like yeah, that. I really hope it wasn't. Uh, but yeah, so just one of those printing things. Ah, the 80s. I see. Hookers! <laughs> let's talk about the sheer number of hookers. Have you noticed how many hookers are in this book? <laughs> no. I've counted like 19 hookers. <laughs> Why are you counting hookers? Uh, same reason I used to play Grand Theft Auto. I would only shoot the blonde ones. Ah, okay. Ba-dum-bum, ba-dum-bum. 